you're listening to Vegan Boss Radio, a show for vegans by vegans. We'll be talking about everything to do with living that vegan boss life. And we need a good ending. Yeah, we need a good ending. I don't know how do we end this shit. Enjoy the show. This episode of Vegan Boss Radio is brought to you by Plant Life Nutrition. Plant Life Nutrition is Vancouver's first fully vegan nutrition store. This is also where I offer my vegan nutrition, coaching services, and custom meal plan services. And these are available both in person at the store and online. And what's so great about Plant Life is when you shop at the store, you know everything is vegan approved and nutritionist approved. So they've really done the homework for you. For 10% off all products and services, follow them on Instagram at Plant Life Nutrition and comment Vegan Boss on their latest post. Welcome to episode 17 of Vegan Boss Radio. Today our guest is Desiree Nielsen. She is a Vancouver-based, (laughs) plant-based dietitian. Um, She's a book author and host of the show Urban Vegetarian, which is on Gusto TV? Yes. Yeah. Awesome. We are so happy to have you on the show. I'm really excited. And to yeah. be so close to home to do yes. the show, too, is really fun. Yeah. Thanks for being here. Yeah, yeah, thank you. So we first met back at Choices Markets, which feels like a lifetime ago. <laughs> yeah, so I think that was, like, they were so ahead of the time to have, like, a nutritionist or dietitian in each store as, yeah. a, like, a free resource for people. And I think it's funny because now it's so normal, yeah. but back in the day, it was actually, it was, like, super weird. They're like, what? Like, you mean you, like work in the grocery st- like what do you stock shelves in the grocery <laughs> store like, no 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 we're gonna teach yeah. people about nutrition and it's gonna be amazing yeah how long ago was that it was before here and before i was at PharmaSave, so it must have been seven years ago i left seven years ago okay. and so i was there like i guess 2008 okay. T- 2008 yeah. yeah oh my gosh yeah, yeah. <laughs> i'm super old yeah <laughs> That's but, cool. You guys go back. Yeah. Yeah. Going back to Choices Days. Yeah. Yep, totally. Health food for life. Yeah. yeah. But it was so interesting because, like, every day you were there was kind of different. Like, sometimes I was, like, making little, like, recipes and g- giving out samples. And then other times I was taking, like, the actual staff through and doing, like, a nutrition tour with them. Yeah. And then other times you'd have people come in who were, like, new to being gluten-free because maybe they were just, like, diagnosed with celiac mm-hmm. and were just so lost. <laughs> so <laughs> I feel like it was such a great, like, resource to have for people. Well, and such a great education when you do nutrition because yeah. I think, you know, in school I didn't – well, there, obviously there was so much that I didn't know, but I certainly mm-hmm. didn't know – understand what people were really interested in right and then you get to a place like choices and like everyone's just talking about gut health and this is in like 2008 right and you're like I didn't realize this was such a big deal like oh my god okay like and then you'd like go back I'd go back to my desk after talking with people it's like all right now I'm like looking all this (laughs) stuff up because I have no idea and yeah I feel like after five years there like it really sort of like opened my eyes to the the gulf between like 
what you focus on in clinical nutrition and then mm-hmm. what like actual people like living in the real world not in the hospital yeah. <laughs> like are dealing with and caring about and yeah. need help with um do you think that's sort of what started your interest in like well not just plant-based nutrition but more like holistic or natural like viewpoints of nutrition because I found like at UBC we were learning more just like about the numbers and not really about like whole foods and stuff yeah so it's interesting for like a dietitian with your background um just the path that you've gone on. Yeah, and I mean, even particularly for someone of my age, because in all honesty, I went into UBC with this bent, like back in the day when we called it complementary and alternative medicine, like (laughs) so weird. But I... I was super into that. Like, I grew up in Victoria, and, like, I was a super health food store kid. And, um, you know, I just, when I was, like, 16, 17, um, I probably never really thought about nutrition. I was always into food, but never really thought about nutrition. I became a vegetarian. And, like, I think that's sort of, that was, like, what opened things up. And I started doing a lot of reading. And, um, like, I came across the work of, like, Andrew Weil, uh, who, if anyone doesn't know Andrew Weil, Google him. He looks like a wellness Santa Claus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was really like reading that book, like Eight Weeks to Optimum Health, yeah. um, which is just like life changing. And I was like, here's this doctor talking about like buying yourself flowers every week and like taking like 4,000 milligrams of vitamin C. I'm like, what is that about? Yeah. And I so when I went into dietetics, I was actually what I was most nervous about, particularly Mm -hmm. because my plan was actually to become an integrative physician, not a dietitian. So there was that. But then I was very worried that my viewpoints Mm -hmm. would not be accepted in that education. And so I stayed pretty quiet, I would say. Yeah, I think now it's very different. Like the students that come through my office, um, people are just so much more open and embracing of a lot of different modalities. But like, you know, back in like the early 2000s, which I was like seven at the time, (laughs) people were not, people were not into it at all. Yeah. Yeah. That's so funny. Like I had such a similar experience. Like we grew up in Victoria with like a granola mom, (laughs) like going to like the health food stores there, went vegetarian at a young age. And yeah, that's what started me on this path of nutrition as well. I yeah. was just about to say the same yeah. thing. I was like, that sounds just like yeah. your story. And we also grew up in Victoria. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah small world. So funny. Maybe it's an island thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Definitely growing up on the island, people were like, oh, island people are different. I was like, what are you talking about? Yeah. And then I've been here for like eons and I go home and I'm like, yeah, I guess, I guess things are different. Things are different in Victoria yeah. just a little bit. Yeah. We were ahead of the cannabis thing by like three decades. Yeah. So, yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> totally. Totally. I just know like, yeah, when I went vegetarian, my mom didn't know, like, what to do. Like, she was uh, supportive, but, like, the default was to go to green cuisine. Like, she would just take us all there. So it's been, like, mm-hmm. 25 years of going there. And yeah. I just can't believe they've, like, even been there that long. And the place, like, has not changed. I know. <laughs> well, that's the amazing thing about Victoria, if anyone has not been there. Like, it just it can be a little like time capsule you know like of things that are exactly the same as they were 20 years ago (laughs) and people and people love them yeah and if they ever change it would be like a huge scandal yeah yeah for sure (laughs) what were your parents reaction when you decided to go more like plant-based with your diet and interests 
I don't I don't remember like what like exactly that conversation at all knowing me it would have been like a grand and very firm like declaration I am now vegetarian um and I did it simply because there was this guy that I liked who was a vegetarian he was like saxophone player in our R&B band (laughs) and I was like I'm gonna like totally and we actually in all honesty we grew up not having a lot of money Mm -hmm. uh, so we actually didn't eat a ton of Mm -hmm. meat as it was so I think it was easier to do it um but she was my mom's pretty cool I have a Mm -hmm. lot of weird like our our relationship is Desiree gets an idea and Desiree's mom supports her through this idea (laughs) like over and over again so yeah it was actually pretty easy for us and I did most of the cooking at home by that point too um because I was raised by a single mom and I was like always hungry and super impatient so I just started like cooking dinner at like a fairly young age um but it was definitely back then like mac and cheese and veggie dogs and like pierogies like I wasn't I don't think I really got serious serious about food until I was in my 30s like even in my 20s like I would go out to eat great things but I didn't really know how to like make great things at home so much like unless I went out and physically like got like a cookbook and I was like okay I'm gonna make this like super awesome recipe yeah yeah and being that cooking is like such a big part of what you do like you have the cookbook and the show did that fuel your love of cooking? Like, do you still have that love? Or does it feel more like work now that you have to do it so much? I actually, I feel like I love it more because I think back before I had a lot of skills um, or dedicated a lot of time to it, it felt more like a chore, like a chore mm-hmm. of just feeding oneself. Well, it's like Tuesday night and we have to eat. And so we'll do that. And now it's actually like a big creative outlet for me too. Like now that I've got a little bit of skill, like mm-hmm. I just, I, I really love that, you know, like how can I create new flavors? How can I take something that I've eaten in a restaurant and make it reasonable for someone to cook on a Tuesday mm-hmm. night in their home? Because I think that's, it's definitely for me because I'm not a chef um, and because like I've got a business and a family, I, I love fancy food, but for me, the ultimate goal is to create things that are really exciting to eat, um, but that are like actually doable for mm-hmm. someone who's just like, give me 30 minutes and a couple of groceries and <laughs> like, that's it. Yeah, that's what people need. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. I have so many cookbooks. I have so many, co- like a ridiculous amount of cookbooks yeah. and they're all so inspiring and I read them all. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, unless you're like, oh, having this big dinner where you're like, mm-hmm. okay, so I'm going to spend like two and a half hours like making all of these things. You know, I would always find that I was like, okay, so I love this, you know, this dish and all that stuff takes too much. So I'm just going to take like these elements yeah. from it and then like sort of like, yeah, make it more more realistic. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. That's the kind of cooking I like. Simple the simpler the better. Usually yeah. Shauna, if I'm with Shauna, she's the chef, I so I just let her do everything. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm on cleanup. Shana yeah. yeah. <laughs> I can't compete with her skills. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you were eating like maybe not the healthiest vegetarian mm. diet when you started. No. And then as you started studying nutrition more, did you kind of switch to like more plant-based? Like, did you cut out dairy and stuff? You know, it actually, it wasn't until my 30s. Okay. It wasn't until my 30s. I was, like, a dyed-in-the-wool, like, cheese addict in my 20s for sure. Yeah. 
And if there's one thing that dietitian potlucks are good for, it's like cheese, chocolate, and wine. <laughs> like that okay. seems to be the MO. Interesting. Um, but I did, it is where I started to like actually actively think about like what is healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, and it's interesting doing this because I think everyone assumes that like you quote unquote eat perfect. Like mm-hmm. if there, there's no such thing as perfect, but like yeah. that you do. But it, I've definitely been on my own journey with that. Like mm-hmm. what I thought was healthy, you know, 20 years ago has certainly changed. Um, partly because my knowledge has changed, mm-hmm. but then also partly because my body has changed too, right? Yeah. Because I think there's there are different ways of eating. And even in the plant-based world, right? Like you've got like the no oil, high starch yeah. people over here. And then you've got the like, you know, like the totally, um, like I'm, I tend to be a more high fat, high protein, yeah, like same. lower starch plant-based mm-hmm. person. Like, and, and part of it's because if I eat that no oil starch weight, I feel mm-hmm awful like my metabolism it doesn't work for me mm-hmm. and so I think that there's room for like all those things to exist and it was just about as my body changed you know particularly after having kids like figuring out like what is the way of eating that makes me feel best yeah. and dairy was the easiest thing to ditch because right after I had my first child um, I got IBS Oh, and okay. so, like, eating dairy, like, made me feel like absolutely, like, there's no better motivator. Yeah. We all want to save the planet and do good for animals. But, yeah. like, there's no better motivator than, like, if I eat this, I feel, like, yeah. awful for four yeah. days. So, yeah. <laughs> We're also very selfish. Yeah. <laughs> we are all very selfish, too. Yeah. And, I mean, the vegan cheeses has have come such a long way. So I feel like I don't even miss it. No. Yeah. I think it's the first I as I ate like a half a pack of Vile Life provolone today. <laughs> like, like, what? There's no missing anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the options now are pretty pretty nice. It's true. Have. Um you mentioned IBS. Yeah. So digestion I know is an area that you specialize in. Mm-hmm. Do you see any, like, mistakes that vegans are making when it comes to, like, their digestive health? Or do you have a lot of, like, clients that come see you for digestive issues on a plant-based diet? Yeah, you know, and it's interesting because, you know, for most people, one of the first things that I'm going to recommend is moving as far towards a very whole foods, plant-based diet as they can because we know that the more plant foods we eat, particularly the diversity of plant foods we eat, the better our gut operates, particularly like our gut microbiome. Um, But I do actually have clients with IBS, um, with like Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis on a plant-based diet. And one of the biggest challenges, particularly, um, they tend to be the healthiest people. And it's so hard because I'm, you know, at least for a little while saying we actually have to like claw back on the fiber and because it's just, it's hurting so much. And so when when you're plant-based and when you have like those really serious digestive diseases it can be a little bit it can be a little bit tricky um you know where i'm actually encouraging well let's have a protein powder because mm-hmm. like let's let's take the fiber out you can't mm-hmm. just eat tofu like three yeah. meals a day so we have to be really really clever in like getting those hemp seeds in and using a protein powder to keep their protein up for healing mm-hmm. but the challenge is so often with digestive health is that And a lot of people, particularly the folks who are not plant-based in my practice, like people with the worst guts tend to come to me on the worst diets because the irony is the foods that keep your gut the healthiest Mm -hmm. also feel the most irritating Mm -hmm. to a really embattled gut. 
you know, like people were like, oh, well, I have like a salad and then it literally leaves my body (laughs) in the same form that it came in. (laughs) What do you think are the worst diets that you see where people come in and you're like, okay, it's because of like what you're eating? It's all starch, all sugar all the time because you can eat white bread. Yeah. And like it doesn't physically hurt because it's literally it's just dust right it's just like Mm -hmm. dust held together with a little bit of gluten um so there's a lot of that a lot of starch a lot of sugar you know like a lot of french fries and just like really really simple food that feels Mm -hmm. settling to the stomach when it is so raw and so irritated and then the challenge is is that's a really inflammatory place to be so in that moment in that minute it feels good but then it creates damage Mm -hmm that makes the next like thousand minutes feel really awful. And so it's a it's a challenging conversation to have, you know, like to tell people that like legumes are part of the healing process mm-hmm. and they're like, I can't eat a chickpea, <laughs> you know, like do you know what will happen to me if I eat a chickpea? And so I'm often just really, um, a, very slow with people, like, and, and the people who are the most ill and the most inflamed, like we pair it right back, it's like, smoothies, mm-hmm. um, like blended soups, things that are essentially pre-digested so that the body has more opportunity to absorb the nutrients because that's also a big thing when your gut's inflamed and particularly if it's like shuttling everything out really fast, you can't actually absorb the nutrition in the food and then it puts you behind the eight ball for healing and it just mm-hmm. sort of accumulates. And um, with IBS though, um, IBS is sometimes easier, not always. Uh, but you know, if people are doing a low FODMAP diet, being plant-based, it takes people who need a lot of effort to not just abandon the protein thing. Mm-hmm. And I hate always having that protein conversation because everyone's like, oh, where do you get your plant-based? Well, we know it's not a big deal to get your plant-based yeah. protein, but particularly <laughs> for someone on that diet um, where the legumes are minimized, but mm-hmm. not out. And I think that's a big mm-hmm. mistake that people will make. They're like, oh, well, I went low FODMAP and I didn't eat any beans. It's like, actually you can. You can have, particularly now, you can have like a half a cup of canned lentils now, and that's considered a low FODMAP portion. And Mm -hmm. you can have a quarter cup of chickpeas. I mean, you can't sustain your entire meal's protein on a quarter cup of chickpeas, but then you can bring in the hemp seeds, and then you can, like, it's actually, as long as you are vigilant, um, you can still feel really energized while staying low FODMAP. And low FODMAP's only supposed to be temporary, too. I think that's a big uh, error that many people make. They're like, oh, FODMAPs are bad. FODMAPs are causing my IBS. So I need to eliminate them long term. And I see people like a year, two years in, and I'm like, oh my gosh, your microbiome. No, we need yeah. to fix this. Yeah. <laughs> For our listeners who might not know, mm-hmm. what is low FODMAP? So a FODMAP is essentially a really rapidly fermentable carbohydrate. Um, so it stands for fermentable oligo, dye, and monosaccharides and polyols, which essentially just means they're carbohydrate. They're not fats. They're not proteins. Um, so they're carbohydrates that by quirk of their physical structure or your digestion, you don't 100% digest and absorb, which means they remain in the gut. And some of them that are sugars, they can draw water, which causes the diarrhea. Hopefully no one's eating lunch as they listen to this. <laughs> yeah. But this is like my dinner table conversation yeah, pretty much yeah. every day. Um, but then also because they're fermented, um, they create a lot of gas and a lot of bloating. And that's where the discomfort comes in IBS. Very well explained. Thank you. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the temporary part because I 
have had clients too who come to me like one two years after yeah. doing low FODMAP I'm like no you don't have to do it like for your lifetime yeah it's just like temporary to address like the underlying cause so like SIBO you want to kill the infection yeah. basically that's yeah. in your small intestine um so yeah I feel bad like when people when come see me or I do um, like meal plans mm-hmm. for vegans that want low FODMAP. That's so challenging to put that together for them. But I do it. And then, uh, yeah, just the conversation around, okay, like this is just temporary. We have to like, because the the FODMAPs are the food for the good gut yeah. bacteria. Like it's we like want, we build it. Yeah, <laughs> we want people yeah. to eat like everyone else. We want you to eat as many FODMAPs as human. Like it's like yeah. garlic, onions, yeah. like all of the healthiest, so most anti-inflammatory nuts. foods. <laughs> yeah, right? And yeah. I mean, it's the more that we learn, and, and this is I wish I'd taken a microbiology course or two <laughs> like in university yeah. because I mean, the more we learn about the microbiome, like it just, it this new sort of lens for everything we think about human nutrition because mm-hmm. it's not just human nutrition anymore it's also bacterial nutrition yeah. and understanding that like interplay between like them and us yeah. and the food that we eat is yeah it's it's like a whole other because I I've been interested in anti-inflammatory nutrition like since before mm-hmm. I became a dietitian and we were really just focused on like two main things which was like blood sugars and like fat quality yeah. mm-hmm. like we weren't thinking about the gut and that connection between the gut and the immune system and it's just kind of blown everything apart yeah, now I feel like it's everywhere. And actually, I have a question for both of you. Yeah. Um, do you, because it feels like everyone is having issues with their gut. It's so common. Do you think that there's an increase in people having gut issues, or is it just an increase in awareness of gut issues? Mm. I want to know what you think first. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's a bit of both. Like, I know when I was in high school, sometimes I would get, like, stomach pains so badly, like, I couldn't move. I'd have to just, like, lie down for a little while. And I thought that was just normal. So people get used to, like, like what they're dealing with mm-hmm. and not really thinking about it. So now with all the talk, I think, yeah, the awareness has gone up. And I think the incidence of it has gone up just with stress our Mm. modern lifestyles Mm. um like kids not growing up on the farm anymore Mm -hmm. like because that like had like coming to contact with all the different bacteria Mm. in the dirt and stuff um builds your gut microbiome what about pesticides yeah worried about that yeah well and it's you know and I I agree I think it's definitely both and I you know and what I think is really important now is that we're talking about it because we have to talking about gut health means like if you say I have IBS someone is instantly going to think about the fact that you poop like no one (laughs) wants to like admit that right you're like perfect first date night conversation so just so you know I have IBS (laughs) Um, and so it is really important to talk about and I think that it's allowing people to be more open and also more critical about like oh, this thing that's been happening for me for like the last three years, maybe mm-hmm. it's not normal. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's actually something going on there. But I, I totally agree with you, Shauna. Like, particularly for me, because stress is my primary trigger. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, we were on our phones all day. We are super anxious. We are demanding more from ourselves than mm-hmm. ever before. And our, like, just to allow our brains to like wander off, right? Give yourself mm-hmm. three hours where you don't let yourself have a screen. Like your mind is mm-hmm. gonna be like bouncing like a hyperactive two-year-old, right? Like it's um, our life, we're just, we're not eating some of us are. I mean, living in Vancouver, we live in a bit of a bubble. A yeah. lot of us are eating mm. real well. Yeah. But as a society, we're not. Mm. And so we're e- not only eating like super high fat, super high salt, super high sugar food with like no fiber, mm. but we're super stressed out. We're connected to technology all of the time, which is increasing. Like it's it's so interesting, particularly with my clients and the people that I talk to who are in their like late teens and early 20s who live their life so fluidly on their phone. And they're like, well, I have anxiety. And it's like, so how much time do you spend on your phone? Well, like, I'm on it all day. You know, someone I just spoke to, she's like, you know, well, like, my best friend lives in another city now that we are in college. And so they literally just text each other from sunup to sundown and to say, every minute you spend on that phone is making your anxiety worse it's making mm-hmm. your gut worse and that's making your anxiety and it's just why is that what is it about screens and that like social media because I hear it all the time and I totally yeah. agree with what you're saying I'm just curious what that connection is why it's tied so closely to anxiety yeah. well I you know it, it's interesting because like back in my day the scourge was television right and they're like TV yeah. turns you into a zombie and now TV seems so non engrossing right like most of us like have our phones and the tv on which is insane (laughs) i always try to catch myself i'm like no double screening right right um i I was listening to this awesome uh, podcast actually with cal newport he wrote this book called digital minimalism and one of the things he was saying which makes a lot of sense is they've i mean they've researched like people who make social media, because it's not really the phone, like the phone is just sort of like a blank box, Mm -hmm. but people who make social media, they research how to make it as engaging as possible and like to spend as many hours on it as possible. And Mm -hmm. it's sort of like um, a slot machine, Mm -hmm. right? Like this idea that like something could come up at any time and like every time you get a notification, they've shown your cortisol, you get like a little hit of cortisol and adrenaline every single time. So if you're doing that just like all day, when really we were designed to be outside, Mm -hmm. working with our hands, like... Scrolling the stars. Right? And and mind wandering. And being bored. Like, I feel like now, like, our superpowers are like boredom and focus. Yeah. Yeah. Because they're two things that, like, we don't have. I feel like our brain just gets, like, rewired to always be on and mm-hmm. like multitasking it's like my brain has too many tabs open and my constantly. computer does constantly <laughs> too so it's like and then you just get used to that feeling maybe and yeah and so you don't yeah. know that it's not normal and I think yeah. particularly with the stress thing because like most just being in private practice your clients are often like professional and high mm-hmm. achieving because they can afford to come to a private practice mm-hmm. and Uh, So we're so good at dealing with all of this that, like, I always ask, like, what's your stress level? Like, Mm -hmm. one to ten. And so often people are like, oh, four, maybe five. And yet they work, like, 65 hours a week. And they're like, 
you know, caring for their mother who's, you know, sick right now and, like, all this stuff going on. I was like, no, that is not a five. That's, like, a good solid nine, nine and a half. But psychologically, we're so used to it that we don't realize that we're holding it. Mm -hmm. Like, our nervous Mm -hmm. system cannot be deceived, and so we're seeing it in our gut. We're absolutely seeing it in our gut. Like if our brain won't yeah. acknowledge that it's happening, our gut has no choice but to acknowledge that it's happening. Yeah. That's a really good way of putting yeah. it. That's amazing. <laughs> like even if you're not like conscious yeah. of it and thinking about it, it's like our bodies have a way of being like, hey, yeah. something's wrong. Pay attention to totally, me. Totally. Mm-hmm. Right? Our bodies are so smart. They are. They're way smarter than we yeah. are. Partic- <laughs> particularly as someone with IBS who is always like, well, I'm chill. Like I'm yeah. like so yeah. laid yeah. back, yeah. right? I'm always so laid back. Why is my gut absolutely destroyed this week? Because mm. apparently... I'm actually not that laid back. Yeah. <laughs> um, did you want to talk about like the vagus nerve at all and how oh, that, yeah. that talks to our gut and brain or yeah. communication between Yeah, totally. Because I guess yeah. people, a lot of times people wonder like why does stress cause the issues? Mm-hmm, yeah. And the reason for that is that your gut is heavily innervated. So like oftentimes in high school, we talk about like the sympathetic, the fight or flight, or like the parasympathetic, the rest or digest, like ding, 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 like <laughs> a nervous system, but there's an enteric nervous system and it's semi-autonomous. And I think that's the weird thing for people. Um, most everything in our body, it's like a connection to the brain. So. It will sense things, send it to the brain, the brain will order directions. So like if you touch something and it's hot, uh, your brain will tell you to snap your hand away mm-hmm. from the stove. But the gut has a lot of closed loops. So what it senses in one part of the gut can cause a directive to another part of the gut without the brain even coming into play. And what's really crazy is that like, of the messaging even between the brain and the gut are coming from the gut to the brain. And it travels along this vagus nerve, which is like the 12th cranial nerve, which I totally forgot about in physiology until very recently. Um, And so what happens in the gut does not stay in the gut. Um, And we see that um, people with IBS, for example, are far more likely than the average population to have depression and or anxiety and vice versa. And there's been some really elegant studies, like one that looked at, so it was like day one, whether you got a diagnosis of IBS or depression and anxiety, and then it just followed you for 12 months to see what happened and the likelihood that you would get the other Mm -hmm. diagnosis within 12 months was just like so much higher than normal. Um, And so the vagus nerve is one of the the main conduits of the parasympathetic, so that rest and digest nervous system. Um, And having adequate tone or activity in that nerve is really important to help nourish like a more harmonious gut-brain connection. Um, A really great example uh, is athletes. So really high-level athletes, um, they can raise their heart rate and then it comes down really quickly and that is because of their excellent vagal tone. Their vagus nerve can take over and say, okay, it's time to calm down. Like that was crazy, way to go, and then calm you down instantly. And so there's a lot of research being done on stimulating that vagus nerve as a potential therapy for digestive concerns, but also mental well-being concerns. Um, But there's a lot of like random little things that you can do that improve it, like humming 
or singing or chanting. Uh, so doing that and, you know, just now I was like, oh, this week, I totally forgot about that. I should have been humming all the time. Um, but it does. It actually stimulates the vagus nerve and it calms you down. Um, you can gargle water as well. Um, immerse, immersing your face in cold water, like if you actually plunge your entire face into ice cold water, that helps too. Okay. Yeah. What is the ice cold water? I'm I have no idea how that works. Push all like the blood away. I know, right? (laughs) But the vagus nerve actually does. So from the brain, it actually travels on through the jaw. So I'm like such a beautiful cliche. Like I have TMJ. That's completely because my vagus nerve hates me. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't like me. It doesn't like my jaw. It doesn't like yeah. my gut. doesn't like any of it. It's upset. So yeah, I'm constantly, I'm the, like the queen of adaptogens yeah. and yeah. now the queen of humming. Yes. That's cool, though, that you can take your own experience, too, and have that empathy and understanding that you bring in with your clients. So it's not just your education, but you can also be like, I've been there. I know like what yeah. you're going through. I definitely think it's helpful. It's you know it's not it's not enough to have the experience but I definitely think having having that combination of the two Mm -hmm. particularly because like I've been living it with it for nine years now Mm -hmm. and you know what what does normal look like what does good look like Um, but also uh, particularly back in the day like I got like no digestive health education really Mm -hmm. you know even as a dietitian like I in my internship I didn't spend I think all the gut stuff I did was like Crohn's and colitis and there were people like in for surgery getting Mm -hmm. like their intestines chopped out um so like that actual like talking to people and and hearing that experience I was pretty skeptical at first and I think gut health is really challenging because it's subjective Mm -hmm. when someone tells you they're bloated or uncomfortable or like their stools are a little you know it's like unless you've actually got a scope and you're looking at someone's gut you're like well are they really bloated like tell me how you know it's Mm -hmm. someone's horrible nine bloating might be someone else's five and so it is as a practitioner hard to wrap your head around something you don't have data we're taught like data right you have blood tests and this and that and there's no blood test for IBS it's just mm, all is not well in your shire so (laughs) um for SIBO, what do you think is like a reliable test? Like, are the breath ones? Do you go off of that? Or? So the breath tests are. There's a lot of controversy around them and methods and doing them properly. Um, I definitely think you have to have both hydrogen and methane tested. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason for that. So the idea is that. If you have uh, bacteria fermenting, they're going to create the gases that they create. Um, But then also particularly if the gut is leaky, you're gonna have more of that perfusion um, into your body and your body expels these gases when you breathe out. So with small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, because there's too many bacteria in the small intestine where they're not supposed to be, they're supposed to be in the large intestine, um, some people only do that hydrogen test Um, But the problem with the hydrogen test is that if you have methane producers in your small intestine, they eat the hydrogen. (laughs) So (laughs) you could have like a low hydrogen result, but that doesn't mean you don't have a lot of hydrogen producers in there. It could just mean you got a lot of methane producers eating all that hydrogen. Um, So yes, I definitely think it's a helpful tool. I really wish we would get behind medical doctors using that in Canada. It's Mm -hmm. a bit ridiculous that we have to go to a naturopath and pay for these tests. 
um, particularly because the evidence supports that this is actually occurring. And I think as a dietitian, one of the things that ticks me off the most is we still use this language of like, there's no research for that. There's not enough mm. research for that. Actually, if you read it, yeah. there is a ton of research for that. And I think what we dislike is that there are not gold standards. Mm -hmm. There are not gold standard diagnostic mm -hmm. criteria. There are not gold standard testing procedures. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, should there be a diagnosis, we don't have gold standard therapeutic guidelines. You know, like for, for the gut, we have the gluten-free diet for celiac disease. That's gold standard. Like no one disputes that ever. Um, and then the low FODMAP diet for IBS, which is a real miracle because like a decade ago, people yeah. thought it was crazy as get out. But now, like I would say most health professionals are very much low FODMAP. Give it mm -hmm. a try. It could work. So I think just SIBO and gut barrier dysfunction are still so nebulous to people that they want to deny the existence. Um, but it's, it's, it's there, it's there in the research. We, we know that these things are occurring and we need to do a better job of figuring out because they're hard to treat. And like deciphering between like dysbiosis just in the large intestine versus like SIBO, like mm -hmm. I find tricky. <laughs> it is, it is really tricky. And I think then for us, you know, doing nutrition, mm -hmm. It's also more difficult, particularly because we don't have a system where we work integrated with the physicians yeah. and the naturopaths. So then you're like, oh, can you please like go to your life labs yeah. and like, please grab those <laughs> tests and like, or I'm sending people back to their doctor. He's yeah. like, can you go to your doctor and bug them for this? And they're yeah. like, yeah, the doctor wouldn't do this oh. test. I'm like, oh, go to the walk-in clinic, yeah. try again. Yeah, try again. <laughs> you know, so it is harder because we're doing our best with the information that we have at hand. Um, but really we need somehow in like 2019 we have to figure some more like yeah. integrated approach where we can all have access to this information and where the testing is more democratic too i think in the u.s because they're used to paying mm -hmm. for healthcare, you have way greater access to a whole host of testing that you as an individual can obtain mm -hmm. that's such a good point i never even thought of that um so i find now like yeah the everyone's talking about SIBO, but previously I found that it was like candida and like parasites. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so did you want to talk about sort of like the differences or how like there's yeah. so many overlapping sy symptoms? Well, and, and, I, and I think that there is an enormous amount of overlap. Yeah. Like, so, I mean, if you think about root cause, mm -hmm. It's dysbiosis. Mm -hmm. So that if you have a really healthy microbiome, they're gonna do the work for you. They're gonna fight all that other mm -hmm. stuff off. Like, you know, Clostridium difficile, life-threatening digestive infection. Mm -hmm. You don't get C. diff if your microbiome is strong. Like you could actually have C. diff living in you yeah. and not be symptomatic because your microbiome is strong enough mm -hmm. to keep it at bay. Only when that breaks down when that community breaks down are you now open and so it's like well choose you know, choose your poison like which one's going to overgrow yeah. right and where is it going to overgrow and yeah. same thing with candida like the presence of candida in the body is normal there are also parasites mm -hmm. whose presence in the human digestive tract is normal which then leads people to say well that parasite is normal it's not causing you an issue but it could have the potential to overgrow yeah. 
and then cause an issue. Um, so yeah, I think we will get to the place where we have excellent testing. Mm-hmm. You know, the stool testing is there. It's it's a start, but the challenge is, is what is present in the stool is not necessarily reflective of what's in your gut. I mean, the microbiome yeah. is insane. Like even, yeah. I was just reading something today that talked about like essentially a circadian rhythm to your microbiome because you go through the day fed, you go overnight fasted, and there are changes even between meals mm-hmm. um, because the bacteria that are in sort of the gut space and the bacteria that are like deep in the crypts mm-hmm. of your intestinal cells are different. And like there's a flux, like it's just super geek out on it. <laughs> but yeah, so we're not there yet with yeah. the testing. And, yeah. I, and I think you know, having metabolites show up in the blood and understanding those more, like the short-chain fatty acids, to be like a proxy for what's going on in the gut is going to be helpful. Figuring out really good, solid, standardized breath testing is going to be really helpful. Um, But I think now that the interest and awareness is there, and now I think it's like pushing forward. Mm -hmm. Nice. Yeah. Um, So fiber... Um, I follow some like vegan gastroenterologists and they're always talking about like challenges where like okay we want you to eat like 30 different foods a week so how do you feel about like plant diversity and uh, like do you is that something you follow yourself like are you always trying new foods yeah I know it's funny that whole like that one study that talked about 30 different plant foods like it really held right (laughs) they're all talking about it the guy in the states the guy in the UK they're talking about that a lot um yes I do think it's important I think you know we weren't designed to eat like 10 different things like it's so easy to do in our hyper processed world right like there are like tens of thousands of plants many of them that just don't even exist anymore because we've standardized and controlled our food supply. So I do feel like, you know, our inner ecosystem is just like our outer ecosystems and diversity is strength. And so I think one of the best ways to have that diversity is to feed it a diversity of foods. Um, So I do, I do try. And it's really important, especially for my kids too, that they don't always eat, especially because they can seriously just eat pizza and like field roast for like every single day, Um, you know, to try and like, my kid will get kohlrabi in his lunch and he's into it. Um, So I do think that is important. Um, I also think, you know, just getting that fiber up because you could eat, you could eat a plant-based diet and actually not be that high in fiber. You know, you could, you could stay in that low fiber zone and not realize it. Um, You know, particularly if you do a lot of juicing or particularly if you're just actually, if you're gluten-free and then you end up eating like a lot of like the the rice ramen and those kind of things and you're not eating like wheat berries and barley and like those ones that just really, they get you. Um, So I do actually think that fiber is still like a bizarrely important subject for nutrition in 2019 like it seems like the oldest and most boring thing on the planet but I think now with with our understanding about gut microbiome um now it's like okay now we've got like a good reason before we're like just eat fiber you'll poop better but now we're like fiber is probably the most important anti-inflammatory anti-nutrient in existence Mm -hmm. um so getting those plants in is super critical How do you feel about, um, like, the probiotics that say there's prebiotics in there with it? Like, 
are you a fan? I am highly like... skeptical. Yeah. <laughs> I'm highly skeptical um, for a couple of reasons. Well, I, one, I, I always have to be cautious of prebiotics dealing with people with digestive health mm-hmm. because they feel like daggers in your gut. Um, but we have so much. I mean, prebiotics are really interesting because I, I think that 2020 is the year of prebiotics. I really do. I was down in um, Anaheim at the, at the big health food trade show, Expo West, and it's like all gut health snacks. Oh, okay. All of it. Everything is a gut health snack. And the yeah. reason why it's a gut health snack is because they put inulin in it. Um, but there's so – it was an interesting one because there was – Honestly, I feel like more research on prebiotics than probiotics at a point. Um, And we know that when you give adequate prebiotics, Mm -hmm. the bacterial levels in the gut increase. Mm -hmm. The challenge with that is dosage. Like you're easily needing to get a bare minimum of five grams of prebiotic inulin, because most of the research is on inulin, up to like 20 grams. And so that, for most people, if they attempted to do that, they should probably stay pretty close to the toilet for a couple of days because it's going to, like, it's going to mess you up. You really have to get used to it. But what I find with the probiotics that have the prebiotic, it's, like, 100 milligrams. I was like, well, what's that going to do? It's like, if you take that probiotic after a hearty kale salad, you have just given it way more (laughs) than that tiny little thing. Um, and, I, and we see this so often, right, in, in supplements and, and in food products in general is that, like, you latch on to something that, you know, I mean, prebiotics are a good thing, but prebiotics are, n- like, no big deal in 100 milligrams. You need 5 grams. Um, and it's interesting because some of the new foods are, they're, like, 5 grams and up. But, yeah, so, yes, prebiotics are good, but I yeah. typically just tell people to eat a variety of different plant foods, and I think that's yeah. more sustainable. Yeah, For I'm sure. down with psyllium, but yeah, I don't typically tell people to take inulin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I had someone come in the other day who said, like, they were looking for inulin because they're doing keto. So I'm just wondering your thoughts on, mm. like, plant-based keto. There is, like, a, a vegan cardiologist mm-hmm. in the States who was experimenting with it. So she was talking about it on our podcast. Yeah. Um, so I'm just wondering, like, plant-based keto, what are your thoughts? Can you get enough fiber? You can, yeah. actually, and you can do it without the aid of any fiber supplements whatsoever. Okay. Um yeah, and it's interesting. So it is interesting that someone would say that they wanted inulin because they were on keto. I mean, unless – because I think the concept of fiber and prebiotic are actually two different things. Like prebiotics don't function in the body the way mm-hmm. soluble and insoluble fibers do. So I think it's sort of both. Yeah. We don't know how keto is affecting the microbiome. It appears to not be great. Yeah. Um, but I think that's also because most people, the way they do keto is they're like mm-hmm. bacon-wrapped cream cheese. Oh, yeah. Like, whoa. Uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, even for my non-plant-based clients, when I design a keto meal plan, mm-hmm. it's very planty. Um, and so you actually can. If 100% plant-based becomes a little bit more, you really, you're relying on like a lot of tofu. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's lupini beans, which of course, genius. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I do actually think you can get enough fiber, but you just have to be, again, diligent. Like if you are someone who whatever's going on in your body is mm-hmm. serious enough that you really want to go keto and you're plant-based, then I think you've probably got the motivation to be careful enough 
and eat all of that fiber. It's interesting with keto because um, the main ketone, like after you keto adapt, the main ketone body, beta-hydroxybutyrate, butyrate. So it's the, we know that it actually feeds anti-inflammatory pathways, which is interesting because the butyric acid that our gut microbiome does also feeds them. So you wonder, okay, so if you're changing your microbiome a little bit, does that beta-hydroxybutyrate sort of make up for it? And like the keto research is so new that there's still a lot of questions, particularly for long-term use. Um, like I think everyone is so excited about like weight loss because that's our society or like blood sugars because it seems like a really important therapeutic tool. Um, we're not asking the like gut questions yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think we should. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Like, well, what happens if you're keto for 10 years yeah. and like super healthy and all the fiber and things or like not healthy? Yeah. I heard that keto gives bad breath. Is that true and why? <laughs> it's sweet breath. Sweet breath? Yes, okay. the sweet breath. The, yeah. It um, sounds better than bad breath. It's, it's, the ke- it's the ketones. Okay. It is the ketones. You have to drink a lot of water. Okay. But when you keto adapt, it tends to dissipate. Okay. Yeah. I just heard that on a podcast recently, and I was like, oh. That's yeah. Yeah. Ask. When you got the bad breath, you know you're, yeah. you know, you're in the keto zone. Yeah. And the keto yeah. flu. Yeah. And, like, some other side effects that yeah. they talk about. Yeah. Well, in keto flu, too, um, yeah. you need more salt. The weird thing, I think one of the things that everyone gets wrong about the keto diet is they think that it's just a way of eating. And what's truly unique about the keto diet is that if you're doing it right, you're in a completely different metabolic state. There's like normal humans Mm -hmm. and there's ketogenic humans. And it's completely, so the rules, we actually don't have a nutrition rule book really for keto. And it's the pioneers of those diets that are doing it. Like if you're ketogenic, you need more salt. So, you know, like every public health agency is like, never consume more than 2,300 milligrams of salt. It's awful for you. Your heart will explode. When you're keto, you need more than double that. You need it. You absolutely need it. It sounds like an extreme. It's, yeah, it's it's not to be taken lightly. I was, I always, you know, with that, it's funny. A lot of people called like, vegan and plant-based diets extreme right you know so I think it's just it's a new hurdle for us and I definitely think as a dietitian anytime you have the opportunity to treat someone therapeutically with nutrition it's always less extreme than the alternatives you know medications which are super detrimental to the body worse yet surgeries that have to occur so I'm always open to new therapeutic nutrition modalities but I think the keto as a trend um I'm ready for that to die yeah I'm not a fan like children with epilepsy that's Mm -hmm. kind of what it was designed for but as like a short-term way to lose weight or other things Mm -hmm. like there's so many studies like big ones that show like increases in mortality on low carb diets yeah and just I worry about the gut microbiome and like when I was teaching um at Pacific Rim College I taught a class on the evolution of cultural diets and I found this study that shows like people in the northern 
hemisphere, like nor- like more north than we yeah. are, like closer to the <laughs> Real Arctic. north. Yeah, they who eat pretty much keto, they mm-hmm. have a genetic variation that prevents their body from going into ketosis. So they're still trying to like burn glucose as yeah. their fuel. So I just don't think it's like a way of the body is designed to like a state for it to be no. in. It's like a backup plan for it's when our we're fail safe. Yeah. Yeah. It's a hundred percent our fail safe. And uh yeah, no, it's it's a really it's an interest <laughs> what what I'm so interested in is how it's really captured the public imagination. Mm-hmm. Like the best-selling cookbooks are consistently keto yeah. cookbooks. They're like the keto instant pop book. And, the keto, you know, like yeah. it's people love it. And it's yeah. still like one of the top Google nutrition searches. But I'm like, all these people are not walking around keto. No. Like they're, they're not. really high-fat diets. And I don't think they're actually in ketosis. No, and that's the most dangerous <laughs> yeah. thing. And I think that's the thing that people don't realize is that like if you're in keto, particularly I would view it as if all of the other tools in my toolkit – are not working for mm-hmm. you, then maybe I would consider it. It's yeah. really my last yeah. mm-hmm. step because we can do a lot with plants. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's I, an interesting I one. Didn't even want to like bring in these bars that were called like keto bars. Like they're vegan, but I didn't want that word being promoted in here in yeah. case people like think that I'm all of a sudden promoting it and backing it. So yeah. I just feel like I'd have to like explain that to every single person that came yeah. in. No, I had to when I started, especially when I started educating on the ketogenic diet, like I actually had a lot of that. People were like, yeah, but you're plant-based. Like, what are you even doing? And I was like, hey, you can do it plant-based. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, it's, yeah, it is. It's it's so polarizing because the, the internet. Mm-hmm. Like once that all goes away and all of them, we can get back to like, you know, you know, people in nutrition, yeah. using it therapeutically when yeah. medically necessary yeah, and forget yeah. the whole rest of it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I agree with that. Um, any other like trends that you're mm. seeing popping up? I feel like it's been like quiet on the trend okay. front. I feel like digestive health, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And particularly in food, I think it's really expanding now when people figured out, well, what makes a food like a gut health food? Now we're gonna see the market like run with that big yeah. time. Um, I'm really I'm really loving the uh, like new protein options. So things like people doing the lupini beans, which is funny because mm-hmm. I grew up, I'm half Portuguese, okay. grew up eating them. Like my yeah. grandmother would like both fry them and pit brine them. And so yeah. like now when they're in a store, I think that's like so <laughs> cool. Um, yeah, I feel, I feel like transparency. I think we're gonna see mm-hmm. that even more. Like, where did this food come from? Um, I think in the plant-based community, too, like, a lot of people were shook by cashews this year. Oh, yeah. You know? And you're just like, okay, so what do I do now? <laughs> like, what do I do now? And so really thinking about, particularly because, you know, when you when you move to plant foods, you're like, this is awesome. This is amazing. But still, a plant food was still harvested by a farmer. It touched human hands. And you know, so asking like where they came from, how are they harvested, how are the people who are harvesting these foods for you treated? Um, I think that's a really big thing still for me. Yeah. 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 Ethical sources of yeah. food. Yeah. 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 For sure. See that. Yeah. There's all of those uh, new 
shows, like the series on Netflix. I forget the name of it now. Is but it they, called Rotten? Is it that? Yeah, I think that's the one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The episode with avocados. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was like, oh wow. I haven't mm-hmm. watched the new season yet. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's a racket. Yeah, it's so interesting, yeah. <laughs> but I remember the one about garlic, the oh. never buy peeled garlic, yeah. because it's prisoners <laughs> who are peeling it sometimes with their mouth because their fingers get so gnarly from peeling yeah. garlic for hours as, oh, like, I did slaves. not see that. Yeah. And so they peel it with their mouth, and then they put it in the things, and yeah. then they buy it and eat it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So no peeled garlic. No, me. no peeled garlic <laughs> ever. I hope no restaurant I eat at uses peeled garlic. <laughs> um okay so i'm curious um since like a lot of your clients base i'm assuming is plant-based or vegan Mm -hmm. what do you see um as like the most common mistakes people Mm -hmm. are making that are new to it um who maybe just like want to do it for the animals or the environment or whatever reason totally like there's so many good reasons to do it (laughs) but um yeah, what are your thoughts on like what um, you see them doing or not doing? I think the biggest thing is that they're eating convenience carbs. They're eating okay. a ton of convenience carbs because the most common time that I will see people is not when they're thinking about going plant-based. Occasionally, I would say like maybe a quarter of the time, it's okay. when they're thinking of going plant-based. Um, another big sector, it's one to two years into their journey and they've got... Uh, they're gaining weight uh, they are constantly craving sugar uh, or their hair is falling out too which is something we don't talk about yeah. like why don't we talk about the fact that yeah. yes plant-based eating is super healthy but yes you still got to watch it because yes. things will happen yeah. <laughs> like your hair For will sure. fall out or you'll be yeah. exhausted yeah <laughs> um so yeah sort of getting people particularly when you're if you're not planning ahead, so if you're someone who lives the lifestyle where you're just always out, right? You're, you're out, you're grabbing a drink, grabbing some food with friends, or like you're grabbing takeout on a Thursday night because you don't feel like cooking, and you're not actually thinking about the f- choices that you're making, um, it's really easy to underdo. People are underdoing legumes like crazy. I've The amount of plant-based people I've met who barely eat beans and tofu I'm shocked I don't know how they're standing upright (laughs) Um, so that's a big thing to work on like let's demystify what it is to cook with a bean way easier than you think Um, and then tofu too Uh, I feel like a lot of us in the plant-based community we're like yeah tofu is great I love tofu but I still think there are people who are influenced by that like but I thought soy was bad for me oh yeah I still Right? So I'm like, soy-free vegan. I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) I also don't see a lot of chickpeas in your meal plan, and I'm freaking out a bit. (laughs) So yeah, like you really need to get those whole food proteins. And I'm I'm totally okay with a protein powder too. Yeah. Um, it's the one place where I don't like soy. Mm-hmm. Like um, you yeah, know, so like many other ones yeah, are. yeah. So to do something else, um, but to really make sure that you're actually getting a concentrated source yeah. of plant-based protein at every meal is really critical. Um, the other thing that's like a big pet for me right now is um, iodized salt. So many people's thyroids are on the fritz, mm-hmm. also because of stress, um, but we sort of gave up iodized salt because we're like, oh, it's full of chemicals yeah. and like pink salt is beautiful and amazing. <laughs> and um, so we're not getting iodine, even living on the coast. I mean, yeah. people that live away from the coast, they have no hope of yeah. iodine, but we're not getting enough iodine. And so people are really shocked for me to tell them cook with 
iodized, like old school, like $1.99 iodized salt yeah. for your thyroid. Yeah. That's a big thing too. Do you go, do you recommend seaweeds ever or is it too unpredictable how much iodine is in it? All the research that I've yeah. done is that it's very unpredictable yeah. and that you could actually get too much. If you yeah. luck out into a great too, source, you could get too yeah. much. Especially like kelp. <laughs> it's like in totally. the shakers, you could easily overdo it. Totally. And there's a connection with taking too much iodine yeah. in your skin. Yeah. Um, so I do like the other thing that I have to admit is yeah. I don't like seaweed. Yeah, it's a bit of a, an acquired yeah. taste. Not I gonna tried. go well in every recipe. Yeah. I try <laughs> so hard, and it's yeah. just been like I I just don't love it. Yeah. My son like eats seaweed snacks, yeah. like they're yeah. potato chips, <laughs> and I just so yeah. I think I also don't yeah. naturally think about it. Yeah. I don't cook with it yeah. um, a lot. Yeah. Can you get iodized sea salt? I thought I saw one once, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe yeah. once. I mean, technically, there would be nothing stopping them that from a iodizing idea. a natural sea yeah. salt. And I think probably what stops them is they figure people who want sea salt don't want the iodine. I feel like that's yeah. probably just the market thing, <laughs> yeah, right? You know, because yeah. we, totally, we yeah. totally do need it. It would be nice yeah. to get a beautiful quality. Because yeah. um, people will also ask, well, the ocean has the iodine, so the sea salt... But, but they don't realize that the iodine in that sea salt sublimates. Like, it's very yeah. unstable. Yeah. You just need something about that good old chemical yeah. iodine to just stay put yeah. in the salt. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was very serious, like, when the reason they started putting in the salt was, like, everyone had goiters. Yeah. Goiters. So, yeah, because the thyroid is, like, starving for iodine, so it oh. enlarges to try and, like, trap more because iodine is needed for, like, thyroid hormone okay. production. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and it's these basics. And I think, yeah. you know, like, like, oh, we're so far p past this. Well, no, we're not. No. You know, like, we'd all still get scurvy yeah, if we yeah. didn't eat vitamin C. Yeah. And um, yeah, so the iodine's yeah. a big one for me these days. Um, I was hoping we could end on like a bit of a, like a rapid fire. Yeah. Like maybe um, oh. like I'll just say something. Okay. And you can like. <laughs> Give me your like quick response. Sure. Quick response. Watch my brain totally fall apart <laughs> at this point. And be like, nah. Um. Okay. B twelve. Supplement. Okay. Um. Nutritional yeast. I love it. Okay. <laughs> Put that on everything. Yeah. Um. Do you worry about the glutamate if someone doesn't have enough B six or magnesium? It's not getting like converted to GABA, and they may have like the excitatory effects of glutamate or. I don't. Okay. I don't. Yeah, because it's, like, bound to an amino acid, so it's not, like, people are saying, oh, it's the same as MSG, but... Yeah. But no, I mean, free, I mean, the MSG is a whole other conversation, yeah. <laughs> but free glutamates yeah. occur in many foods, yeah. like tomatoes that, yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm down okay. with glutamate. Okay. It's my friend. <laughs> uh, vitamin D? Uh, vitamin D, three. Now we have plant-based sources, which yes. is amazing. Um, I'm bullish on it. It's good for in inflammation. It's not just about your bones, although we should probably care more about our bones too, but same thing. We're like, oh, that's old news. But yeah, every day, typically 1,000 in the summer, 2,000 in the winter. My gut health people, I tell them way more. Yeah. Um, what else have we not talked about? Um, iron? Yeah, iron. Iron. Um, most of my clients who are anemic are not plant-based. Okay. Uh, so eat good whole foods. Get all your legumes. Don't worry about it unless you have a reason to worry about it. 
Um, calcium. <laughs> calcium, yeah. So do I probably get my 1,000 milligrams a day? Probably not. Um, I am both that the science around the recommendation for 1,000 milligrams is uh, admittedly shoddy. Mm -hmm. They admit it because yeah. we don't we don't have a DRI. We have like an AI. So it's a totally different thing. Uh, Google it. It's super nerdy. <laughs> um, so yeah, we try. I always tell people to try, but there are a whole bunch of other factors that mitigate bone health, like inflammation, for example, um, that play into maybe we don't need that much. So okay. eat your greens, drink giant almond lattes, and <laughs> nice. call it a day. <laughs> I can do that. Oh, I have one. Yeah. yeah. Kale. My favorite thing still. Okay. <laughs> We've recently heard someone, do we even want to say his name? No. We won't say his name. Just that it like all has thallium in it and like, yeah. And he was like totally fear mongering and he was saying, I don't even want to repeat it. It was disgusting. Yeah. There was something about if you're a woman and you eat it, something really bad will happen to Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh, I'll say this. This is not going to be <laughs> rapid fire. Yeah. Anyone who demonizes a single ingredient whole food yeah. deserves to be taken out to pasture themselves. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> we are really unwell as a society. Yeah. It's not because we eat kale. It's not because we eat lentils. It's not because yeah. we eat tomatoes. It's because we don't eat any of that. We yes. eat hyper-processed garbage. We're too stressed. We don't yeah. move our bodies. That's why we're unwell. <laughs> Real food heals. Anything else is... Very kind well of a bald said. face love lie. It. And I love kale too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Kale from Whole Foods with the garlic tahini oh, um, best. dressing. Candy. <laughs> I could literally just eat like five cups of that every yeah, day totally. and never be like bored of it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, concerns about phytic acid, oxalic acid, lectins? Zero concerns. I have a blog Good. post on it. Uh, like I said, fiber is an anti-nutrient and one of the most important things we can possibly ingest. Phytates also have their own utility. They are phytochemicals with potential benefits. Yes. Yeah. Love it. Awesome. Um, more, more, more. Uh, mushrooms, do you have to cook them? Yes. Yes, cook culinary mushrooms and then eat as many medicinal mushrooms in every form as you can. Not rapid fire, but I would love to hear a little bit more about your book, how people can mm -hmm. find it, how people can find you. Um, yeah, I'd love awesome. to hear that. Yeah, so you can find me at DesireeRD.com, RD like registered dietitian. And so the book is called Eat More Plants very straight and forward yeah, into the point like title. Um, my goal is just to help everyone nudge the needle. You know, um, if you don't eat any plants, get to 25% and like start yeah. there. Uh, it is 100% plant-based, all anti-inflammatory and gluten-free, which means there is very little, I think there's like a teaspoon of sugar in one salad dressing but also low sugar so I'm not like no refined sugar and there's like two cups of dates in a recipe yeah. um, all meant to be super easy 20 to 45 minutes to make mm -hmm. um, it is therapeutic nutrition mm -hmm. for people who actually really enjoy food and want to cook delicious food at home and there's like a whole bunch of information in the front about inflammation and plant-based diets, particularly if you're going plant-based for the first time, like all you need to know about the nutrients. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, and you can find it like pretty much everywhere books are sold. It's on my website and there's like a link to all, oh, all the places. So it's like, not just an ebook, <clears throat> it's an actual physical book. I can go into chapters. Yeah, you can go into chapters. It's on Amazon. Awesome. Costco's had it. That's uh, up until Yeah. Yeah, so it's it's really cool. It's really fun to watch people engage with it. Um, and yeah, cook your recipes. It's yeah. it's really cool because I make them in my kitchen like four blocks from here. And you always, people, do people have the same taste buds that I do? Are they going to, yeah. I love this. Are people going to like this? And it's really fun yeah. to see people cooking at home with their families. Yeah. And yeah. The that, pictures that little, look incredible. Thank you. Like yeah. Every single recipe, I want to like eat my screen. My mouth was watering <laughs> when I was checking out your website yeah. and looking at your recipes, so I'll definitely be picking up your Aww. book too. Thank you so really much. Good. I had an amazing team. Um, actually, a lovely plant-based person, Sophie McKenzie, Wholehearted Eats, was my food stylist because yes. um, my my food is like totally like. It never looks like the picture, and I said this in the book. I was yeah. like, thank you to you, because my food never looks <laughs> like it's in the picture. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, she made it beautiful, nice. because that's how it tastes. Yes. Yes. So I want it to look like how it tastes. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. Great. Um, any final thoughts that you wanted to share with our listeners? Um, I think if I were to say anything, it's that uh, food should be joyful. You know, mm-hmm. really have fun experimenting and exploring food. Uh, there's no there's no wrong way to do it. Kitchen disasters sometimes end up being, if not the best tastes, then <laughs> yeah. the best memories. So just yeah. have fun. Go to the farmer's market. Choose new foods. Go home. Get your hands dirty. Yeah. And, yeah, play in the kitchen. And that's the ultimate way to health. Nice. I, I love it. That. That's really good advice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we often say the same thing at the same time. We share our brain. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> say quickly as the non-nutritionist here with no education in nutrition I learned so much during this interview so thank you for being so honest and sharing so much helpful Mm -hmm. information and I really hope that our listeners enjoyed that as much as I did and learned as much because like I was fascinated like Uh every minute so thank you thank you so much Thanks. (laughs) thanks for being here thank you Thank you so much for listening to Vegan Boss Radio. If you enjoy the show, be sure to hit subscribe and leave us a five-star rating and review. We would really appreciate that. We've got a lot more episodes coming up and we will be releasing them weekly. So to stay in the loop and stay connected, you can find us on Instagram at vegan underscore boss. If you are looking for any support on your journey to going more plant-based or need help with your nutrition, you can find Shauna's information at synergynutrition.ca and on Instagram at synergy underscore nutrition. If you need any support with your business and personal branding or if you're starting a vegan-friendly business, you can find my information at meganmediadesign.com and on Instagram at meganmediadesign. If you have any questions for us, are interested in becoming a guest on the show, or are interested in any sponsorship opportunities, you can contact us at veganbossradio at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Thank you again for listening and being part of our Vegan Boss community.